1: bothered i've been coughing a little bit it's kind of a miracle that we're recording this week i uh i was at work and i had to trim some trees and i didn't think about uh some of the trees i had to trim were cedars and man some cedar sawdust
0: and the pollen and
1: the pollen and all that because it is allergy season i went from just perfectly fine to just terrible cough in just a day and then uh, yesterday I, t- I woke up and I didn't know if I was going to have a voice to record, um, but I got better. So um, I'm glad here. I'm trying to catch any of the coughing and, uh, you know.
0: You're back on the cough drops again.
1: Yeah, back on the cough drops. So you'll, you'll see me grabbing those things.
0: Well, yeah, I was at Mom's a couple of days ago and she's got pine trees in her front yard. Mm-hmm. And I looked up in time just to see the wind blow through the pine trees and like this cloud of yellow comes out of them. Oh, yeah. It well, was insane. I've never seen anything like that. Well,
1: here in Norman, um, basically, you can tell who parks their car in a garage and who doesn't because uh, every car that is left out is just, it's got a nice little yellow tint to it. It's right. kind of funny. Like all the, like everything looks like it kind of has like a gold undercoat. Um, if seen, right. Like, <laughs> and it's kind of shiny. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of pretty, but man, it needs to,
0: it, it, it's dangerous.
1: Yeah. We need to slow down on some of that pollen. So, so that's why, if uh, last episode, this episode, if you've <laughs> seen me coughing, I'm, I apologize. We'll try to catch a lot of that.
0: We live uh, in Oklahoma; it's always an it's allergy season that time of year. <laughs>
1: so, anyway, so uh, last episode we wound up with Joseph getting hauled off to prison, right? Yeah. After he, the world's oldest documented sexual harassment case, right?
0: Um, and and it was the the woman aggressor there, and. Yep very interesting um, as far as the, the situations that it, it brings up and one of the things that I, I find to be very interesting about that that point in particular is it really comes down to a question of identity and so uh we talked a little bit about that on last um last show now uh moving into this next section we basically know that joseph is about 28 years old um He's been in prison for some time. Uh, about 11 years have elapsed since he uh, was originally sold into slavery. And so we really don't have a firm timeline on from the time he was sold into slavery, went to Potiphar's house, and when he went into prison. Right. So that's kind of um, up in the air. But I guess the timeline doesn't really matter. The, the events are what's significant. Um, He is imprisoned, as we mentioned in the last episode. This is in Potiphar's house, so he's still very close to Potiphar. Potiphar's the the chief steward for Pharaoh. And in Pharaoh's prison, this is kind of the place where um, the the political prisoners are kept. This isn't somebody who, you know, like a kid stealing bread off the street is going to be kept here. This is going to be someone of importance because we have, um, you know, Pharaoh's cupbearer is going to show up in the story. This is like, this is like the posh prison. It's like with the uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the TVs and the exercise bikes. I, I'm kidding. Yeah. Well, you know, probably as posh as an ancient prison was. Well, it's, <laughs> I would guess. I don't know. So. And so, yeah. So, but he, he's, he's actually, this turns out to be an opportunity um, because he's going to wind up um, actually helping them out. So what happens is um, he's in prison, and Pharaoh's cupbearer comes to him and says, hey, I've had a dream. And he goes into the specific, specifics of the dream, and Joseph interprets them for him. And um, in interpreting the dream, he, he tells the cupbearer, Pharaoh's going to, to take you back. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're going to get to return to your position. And you're going to um, be reinstated to, to your authority. Now, being a cupbearer was a pretty significant job. Um, there's lots of ancient documents that validate the idea that being a cupbearer meant that he had not only authority and prestige, but he was probably wealthy, too. Right. And he was um, in a place of great power. Um, in In the Middle Ages, this might actually be compared to uh, the groom of the stool. I don't know if you've heard about that one. Nope. Okay. I, I,
1: it sounds familiar, <laughs> but I couldn't tell you what it is.
0: The, the groom of the stool. He was there with the 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 king. Um, uh, in the, the castles. Um, in you know, Europe were not known for their um, plumbing for their is plumbing. That where you're going with yes, this? Is that, that type of stool. It, 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 that's exactly what it was. But because he was with the king at these times when nobody else might be around, he had the ability to speak to the king about political favors and things that uh, he might want to, um, you know, get for his friends and buddies. So you always wanted to be friends with this guy. And that's kind of the, what the feel I get from reading some of these ancient documents about cupbearers. Yeah. And we actually know in Nehemiah uh, chapter one, verse 11, that um, Nehemiah was the cupbearer for Artaxerxes who returned the children of Israel out of exile to begin to rebuild right. Jerusalem. So he was actually able to use that position to leverage re- the rebuilding of God's holy city. So uh, all around, we get this idea that this is a very influential situation. Right. So um,
1: something else. Um, <laughs> I, I, I thought we were going to mention this before we got into the the cupbearer thing. But one thing uh, we also kind of have uh, before we, get too far along we have kind of this retelling of, of, of joseph again mm-hmm. i've been in prison but i'm gonna do a good job and so basically the the prison uh what, what was the the prison guard uh the keeper of the prison that's all he's called okay here uh puts joseph in charge of everything and basically it doesn't pay any attention to what joseph does it's basically like, do whatever you want just don't leave yeah and so joseph again making the best out of a bad situation and um so i think that kind of idea is 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 kind of cool where we see that retold again yeah and it, then, and then we see that that kind of idea echoed in paul um mm-hmm. you know where he talks about i can live in richness i can live in poverty and then he follows that up with i can do all things through christ who strengthens me um which he is actually talking about living situation and not, you know, lifting boulders necessarily um, or being a great athlete. So. What?
0: That's not superpowers automatically guaranteed by scripture?
1: No, it, it makes you see the best quarterback. Oh, right? okay. Is that, oh. <laughs> well,
0: I'm glad I never tried to apply that in my life. I don't want to be a quarterback. Well,
1: I, Yeah, that, that's that's the I only yeah, So. Anyway, so. moving on, but yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool thing of just making the best of every situation, and and, and whenever you're choosing to serve God in the best of, and make you know make those situations an opportunity, God's faithful in that.
0: And, and I think we should you know do all things as unto the Lord, and if we you know follow that bit of biblical advice, it's amazing what happens. Right. And so, um, when when Joseph interprets this dream, um, he asks to be remembered, and this is not like, oh, have pity on me, uh, feel sorry for me, please remember me. This was actually in the terminology of a professional diviner or dream interpreter saying, hey, this is the the cost of my services. Mm. So it was very appropriate that he would do this because there were professionals in Egypt um, that did this. As a matter of fact, we have uh, papyrus scrolls once again. That attest to the idea that this was a profession, right? And um, we actually uh, there's um, one that has like so, just list and list and list of like our what we would consider a dream interpretation book, right? And so this was a very prestigious um, profession for Joseph. Um, you will notice that there we have a play on the numbers in this uh, with the um, cupbearer that the three is can just over and over again. You pointed out it's three days until Pharaoh's birthday Mm -hmm. Um, in uh, three branches are three days and three days. Pharaoh will pardon you and restore you to a post and three is mentioned six times overall. Yeah. And so there's some significance in that. If you study any, um, gematria, which is the, the study of meaning of the, the numbers in the Bible three, of course, is, I think most Christians immediately think of Christ being in the grave three days, uh, Jonah being in the belly of the well, three days, three is almost always the number of accomplishment. Right. So this is going to be accomplished. And then the next thing that happens is the baker shows up. Now the, I think we kind of downplay the role of a baker mm-hmm. because, I mean, bread's such a staple. It doesn't really seem like it's, it's like we could have a million other people step up and do this job.
1: Right. Uh, I, I want to know what all he was baking.
0: Well, we know that he was baking no less than 57 varieties of bread and three, 38 different types of cakes, according to Egyptian scripts of what was served in the oil, uh, royal houses. Now, uh, Okay. <laughs> So he had quite the uh, array of recipes there. I would imagine.
1: Yeah. I, I, I'm just curious. I'm like, what What do you do? I, I guess it would be some brick oven stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and when you think about the skill that would require. Um, I, I would Actually, our cousin, uh, I'll do a little plug for Dusty here with American Pie and Muskogee. <laughs> uh, they have a brick, uh, a wood-burning, not brick, but a wood-burning oven, pizza oven. Mm-hmm. And he actually says it takes more time to top the pizzas than to bake them because they cook like in ninety seconds, right? And he said trying to train people to use that has proven to be the most difficult part of owning this business. Hmm. And so I got to talk to him a lot last week. Um, It's worth the trip to Muskogee. I just got to say, excellent. But this is these are the kinds of things that this baker would have had to have dealt with very primitive working situations. Uh, think about food storage. Uh, the fact that you wouldn't be able to control the quality of wheat. You don't have airtight containers. Mm-hmm. Weevils would have been. All of this came into play. Yeah, and so he was pretty significant in his own position, and to, to fire your baker would have been a huge deal because you would, have, you know, bread would have been at every meal. Right, and so he. Uh, Joseph interprets his dream and I love the Hebrew. There's a great little play on Hebrew words here um, with the cupbearer. Joseph said that Pharaoh is going to lift up your head mm-hmm. and in li- that means he's going to pardon you. He's going to bring you back. He's going to forgive you with the baker. He says, Pharaoh is going to lift off your head. Right. <laughs> and so it's a very, very subtle little wordplay there. Uh, but I think sometimes we forget that the, the Bible writers actually do have a little bit of sense of humor here. It's a little dark humor. A little <laughs> gallows humor. Yeah. yeah. Well, the uh, Literally.
1: And, and, you know, and, and I think I, I thought it was funny that it says, says it's on Pharaoh's birthday because it's like, Pharaoh's like, my birthday's coming up. I think I'll <laughs> finally kill that guy.
0: Pardon a few people, kill a few people. It's all good.
1: <laughs> you know, all in a... I mean, what's a party without an execution?
0: Well, and this know. also, I hadn't, th- <laughs> I hadn't thought about this before, but this kind of sets up who Pharaoh is, because he does have this sort of power, and I think we know that reading the story. But when Joseph is going, getting ready to go talk to this guy, mm-hmm. and, and to think about going into that situation where just willy nilly he can lift up or lift off somebody's head, mm-hmm. and so kind of driving home that even though Joseph was doing a good thing, it was still kind of a precarious thing. right? And so the other part of this that I found interesting is Joseph in the, the baker's dream includes the fact that the bird's going to pick the flesh off his body. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, that's kind of weird. But it, So I started looking at that and just thinking through, and I didn't doing deep research because not everything requires deep research. But just think about this is Egypt. This is the land of mummies,
1: right? This is, oh, this is where they preserve (laughs) honored people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now. Yeah.
0: So he's not just going to kill this guy. He's going to make sure that he either doesn't have an afterlife or he's going to be maimed and mangled
1: when he gets there. Yes. Yeah. That's incredible. I hadn't (laughs) thought about that. That's uh, that, that's like next level vengeance.
0: (laughs) Right. So you kind of wonder, what did this guy do? (laughs) Now now I want to (laughs) know. I'm pretty certain he didn't just burn the toast.
1: I would assume, yeah.
0: The roles were rocks. (laughs) But yeah, and so I brought that up because, okay, just going there and taking that time to really think about the context of when this is happening, Mm -hmm. that just elevated that one line in its significance. So when you're reading the Bible, really pause sometimes to to think about those things, because I didn't have to spend hours researching that. I, right. I knew that this is an insult. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, Joseph, um, it's his third day uh, until Pharaoh's um, banquet and the cupbearer gets called back and this text says that the cupbearer forgets. Uh, that line is important because it tells us it's not malicious. It's not something that the cupbearer was attempting to Oh, I'm going to hide the fact that this guy helped me out or anything like that. He just, he forgets. He's absent minded. He's human, just like the rest of us.
1: But he's in a high level position. I mean,
0: well, can you imagine the stress?
1: Well, yeah, that's true. I was just wondering if this is kind of anything with the long tradition of incompetent people in high level positions. (laughs) But, um.
0: well, I mean, (laughs) he just gets released from prison and his buddy just got killed. And I can only imagine that he is like making sure that.
1: Every the, every i is dotted. Every t the is shirts crossed. Shirts
0: pressed. The mm-hmm. wine he's serving is excellent. Every yeah, he's yeah. trying to make sure he doesn't go back. But this is also a little bit of foreshadowing, because in Exodus we have that verse, and there arose a, a Pharaoh who did not remember mm-hmm. Joseph. So we're we're starting to kind of get into this gear. You know, you're gearing up for Exodus, mm-hmm. because this is all foundational. As a matter of fact, some um, some of the ancient writers uh, scholars argued whether or not Genesis and Exodus should be divided or whether they should just be read as one continual piece. And so if we did read it that way, then
1: this would flow right into the next part. Exactly. Well, it does. And that's where I I think we have to have that, that mental exercise of, of ignoring our verses, ignoring, (laughs) I mean, use them to find where you're going, but once you're in the text, ignore those little numbers because the div- dividing them up and and pulling them out of context that does not help you understand the Bible that well.
0: Oh yeah, it, actually, you can get copies of the Bible that are written like a book, um, mm-hmm. and those if you tend to get lost in the chapters and the verse thing, that might be a good investment. I need to look into that. because
1: yeah. I, I I get distracted by all that and the footnotes and everything, <laughs> and so sometimes it's like. I just need to read what's there. Mm -hmm.
0: And sometimes it really is that simple. Um, So Joseph, after two years time, the text is specific about that. uh, Pharaoh dreams and he dreams he's standing by the Nile. And when the Nile came up, there were seven cows. uh, Handsome and sturdy is how mine says it. And they grazed on the uh, reed grass. But presently, seven other cows came up from the Nile, close behind them, ugly and gaunt, and stood beside the cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly and gaunt cows are, uh, are up the seven sturdy cows. Eight up. Sorry. I, I need bifocals. I'm <laughs> <Apparently. laughs> like, are up? What? <laughs> That's a very different dream than I read about. <laughs> so they ate up this handsome sturdy cows and Pharaoh awoke. And then he fell asleep, he dreamed a second time, seven ears of grain, solid and healthy, grown a single stalk. but close behind them spread seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven solid full ears and Pharaoh woke up, awoke. It was a dream. Um, so that's the basic dream. And Joseph is going to be called in. The cup bearer is going to remember him. But before the cup bearer remembers him, Pharaoh sends for the magicians of Egypt, and I thought this I thought this was really interesting because um, I looked up that word magicians there
1: is it the same one we use for mage
0: no it's not it actually means engraver or writer and I wish I would have had this for my thesis because an engraver or writer is considered to be, have magical powers uh, also closely associated with this is um, the prophecy. Mm -hmm. And of course, dream interpretation is part of this, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so now we're starting to get into some of this magical um, abilities and uh, themes running through the text. And they've kind of been low key in Joseph's story up to this point, but they're going to begin to take on some significance. And even through the encounters with the brothers, Uh, he also calls the wise men and the wise men there, that's the same word that we use of Solomon. It's it's chokmah. Um, Solomon was wise. Mm-hmm. And also in ancient um, Se- Second Temple lit, what we wind up is a lot of magical abilities attributed to Solomon. Yeah. And, excuse me, it's the same word used for um, Bezalel and mm-hmm. Exodus 30. Uh, 31 and uh, 35 it says that he he was wise and th- there's this idea in ancient cultures that the ability to create was the same as the uh, as it was a spiritual gifting mm-hmm. it wasn't just a trade it wasn't some kind of craft it's not a hobby it's not a hobby yeah, yeah. and we we have this even today that, that art shapes our life and um, art has the ability to really shape and influence all of our reality. Mm-hmm. And I think we see this with movies. We see this with TV, uh, the design of the chairs we sit in. right And, you know, and when you're living in a world where you couldn't go to Walmart or Ikea and pick up something that you needed, you needed a skilled artisan right there.
1: Right, and especially when you think of of the various mediums that they had back then, were kind of limited. Yeah, um, you know, you might be able to do. I I don't know. They, they probably didn't. They you know might be able to paint on some rock, but that's going to wash away. Um, so you had to do either carving, um, mm-hmm. like you said, engraving, um, metallurgy, jewel casting. You know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. metal casting, setting jewels, things like that. That that was hard work. That. Yes, a lot, a lot more than than just you know than writing in a book or you know even oils.
0: Well, I mean, e- even with um, you know, as artists today, we we go down to Hobby Lobby or Michaels or and we pick up our um, tubes of paint. Mm-hmm. You know, used to to paint a painting, you had to be a chemist too because you had to mix everything. Oh
1: yeah, uh, there's um, there's a there's a podcast I listen to called the Art History Babes. Mm-hmm. Um, don't listen to it with kids around; they kind of get uh. <laughs> they kind of get a bit a bit explicit, but the um the art history in that is is presented in a way that that is actually entertaining and keeps your attention. They did a whole episode on the color blue and just the color theory around that and talking about how um it it used to be the most expensive uh color, and I can't think of what the what the what the color name was. you would probably recognize it if you heard it um but it was a specific type of blue. And I believe it was Michelangelo who was commissioned to do a painting of Christ and Mary. And he, he had this idea that he was going to put Mary in this one specific color blue. But when he went to try to, you know, he got a price for it. When he went to try to order some and get the money from his patrons to, to uh, say, hey, I need this blue to finish this painting. They're like, well, that's too much. You're gonna to have to paint it a different color. And so instead he just didn't paint Mary's clothes <laughs> in the painting. So it remains unfinished because he was not going to ruin his painting <laughs> by using an inferior color than this one particular blue he had in mind. So I thought that was
0: That sounds um, so Michelangelo. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um not but, that I know we were not buds uh, or anything, but I mean that sounds just like something you well, a, well apparently
1: like the like the Sistine Chapel. He didn't want to do it because oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't think of himself as a painter. Right, um, he was a sculptor, mm-hmm. and he did not like working in because that's all fresco, isn't it? I believe so. And he did not like working in it, and which I can't say that I blame him. on I mean, you're putting the, the paint right in the
0: uh, right in the plaster, right yeah. in the
1: plaster, and so you don't have much margin for error. And he like, and it's so funny because this is one of the most beautiful. I haven't seen it in person, but the picture seems you know it's beautiful work. It, but he didn't consider himself a painter and hated doing it, and so he was constantly walking off the job, and um, it, and then the the papal uh police or guards would go track him down and be like, "No, no, you're you're getting paid to do this job. Come do this job." But they would they would go and find him at the local bar. And like, nope, get back to work.
0: And, and even then, he put in so many jokes and slams oh, against man. it. So that's a whole okay. But yeah, maybe we can.
1: We do an episode on that. That can be an oddities (laughs) episode. But um.
0: (laughs) but that's the thing. The the position of an artist. I think today there's not a lot of people who engage in artistic activities that we consider real artists. And in the ancient culture, you were either in it or you were out of it. There was kind of no in between. Right. And so anybody who had the ability to do this. They they had a special place in the society, and I think it's I think it's very interesting today that we have this um, love hate relationship as Christians with the arts, whether it's movies or television. And so, you know, maybe there's a little reason for that. Maybe there we need to have some of that going on. But you know, maybe we also need to be working at creating better Christian art and doing some things with integrity. So, um, I won't get on that soapbox. Nathan's holding his breath. I I (laughs) am. I want to talk about this, but now we've got other stuff to do. But okay. So, but this is also foreshadowing um, because what's going to happen is we're going to see this clash between the pagan magicians who are unable to solve a problem and Joseph, God's true prophet in the situation who is able to solve a problem. And this is the first time we see kind of the standoff, the spiritual duel going on in the Bible. And it's kind of underplayed. It's not real right. uh, in your face. It's not the same situation that, uh, Moses and Aaron walk into with Janus and Jambres with Pharaoh, where, you know, the, Oh, you can turn water into blood. So can we, you can turn a staff into snakes. So can we, uh, and I think it's very interesting in that in that particular story, the, a lot of people said, oh, well, they're faking it. The Bible never says they're faking right. it. it. This is really what's going on. There is some power to what's happening um, with their ability.
1: So uh, they we're ready to yeah. move the... So anyway, I, I think this is worded really funny. Okay. Um. So, and this is just funny. It's not anything like great spiritual truth out here. <laughs> but he says, Then the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard. Uh, so remember that time when you were really <laughs> mad at me? And... We were in, you know, the whole prison thing.
0: <laughs> it just doesn't seem like something. Uh, it's, in this, it's, I must make mention of my offenses. I must be. <laughs> it's kind of like you can almost hear the cringe there <laughs> that it's getting ready to
1: happen. This might be kind of a sore topic, but I, I'm getting somewhere. Bear with me.
0: Well, and I think no, I, I like those little points because again, human beings in very yeah. human situations and. I think we've all been in those places where, you know, when you've had to address something you knew was going to be a sore topic with maybe not someone who could take off your head, but someone who is going to definitely chew you out for right. <laughs> bringing it to the remembrance.
1: Yeah. So I, I thought that was really funny. And then, <laughs> then he you know, goes on to talk about, you know, a young Hebrew uh, was with us there and servant of the captain of the guard. And we told, um, uh, we told him a dream and he gave us an interpretation. Basically he says, I think I know a guy, <laughs> you know, um, Think I know a guy.
0: So, and I should point out too, and I forgot this in the last episode, the fact that there were two dreams that Joseph interpreted and interpreted correctly is mm-hmm. significant. Because if it had just been one, well, that could have been a fluke. Sure, but the fact we have true a two, now he is a true interpreter of dreams, and so this is what gave the cupbearer the confidence to be able to call on him mm-hmm. for Pharaoh. Otherwise. You know, he's just... Taking
1: a little more of a gamble.
0: Yeah, yeah. And when you think about who he's talking to, you you don't want to gamble with that guy. Yeah. And so, um, now, when Pharaoh sends for Joseph, uh, he was rushed from the dungeon. Uh, This is verse 14. And he had his hair cut and changed his clothes to appear before Pharaoh. This is the second time that we're talking about clothing with, with Joseph. And this is the first mention of clothing in this chapter. There's going to be two. And this word here to, shave, uh, to, to cut his hair includes to shave. Mm-hmm. And what are Jews not supposed to do? Cut the four locks. <laughs> exactly. And so th- this all starts to build in a very particular direction. Um, it is good to see that Joseph is still maintaining his integrity because mm-hmm. he says, not I, but the Lord will see to Pharaoh's welfare. All right. So, or God will see to Pharaoh's welfare. So Joseph is being humble, uncharacteristically humble for Joseph. And he he's willing to give credit where credit is due.
1: Okay. And so. Probably formally, probably <laughs> humble in the formal <laughs> sense. Like, I'm supposed to.
0: Well, he's been in Egypt long enough by this point. He knows how to play the game. Right and you really see that he he is a politician mm-hmm. and i think that really comes out in his um in his interactions with his brothers later on that he knows how to set a stage he knows how to um make the correct presentation he knows the right language to use joseph is very good at adapting to his situation right. and that's why he he went up in ranks and I think what we forget when we, when we read this passage, Joseph isn't just talking to a guy. He's not even just talking to a king. He's talking to a god.
1: Right. In the perception of the people. Mm-hmm. Like he's talking to embodied Horus. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and the really fun thing about this is now this god is going to have to release the control of his country to a slave. That's a huge reversal.
1: Man, you want to talk about a really interesting image for the rest of scripture. (laughs) I mean, that's because that's, I mean, we would talk about Paul and saying, you know, in the life to come, we're going to be judging angels. We're going Mm -hmm. to be co-ruling with with Christ. And uh, it's mind-blowing. It's it's mind-blowing. It's right there. I also think, and I don't know if there's any direct correlation, but there's also Jesus talks about the parable of the people of the wedding feast mm-hmm. and people getting dressed in the right clothing, mm-hmm. kind of see that in, in the situation. So it's it's kind of a really weird, there there's, and you just blow right by it if you're right. not thinking about it.
0: Well, and that's the problem. We get so familiar with this. We stop reading what's on the page. And we stop trying to put ourselves in that situation, and you know. I, and I think this is one point where movies and things do help us because if we look at these movies of ancient Egypt, and even if you know the the great classic, the Ten Commandments, which is I'm sure playing somewhere this weekend because it's Easter weekend. Yeah. Um. You. To, well, it, when we're recording, it's yes. not Easter for you guys. Yeah. Sorry, you guys. Welcome out. from the past. <laughs> Go ahead. We're time travelers. Um. But the. To, to use that imagery, if you have to, to think about, you know, be Charlton Heston for a moment. Think about standing in front of Pharaoh and saying these things and recognizing you as a God are not good enough to save your country. Right. But I am. I mean, it, it's, it, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and even beyond that, I mean... If you if you are into uh looking at this the way the ancient writers would have, where there are other gods, mm-hmm. um it's it's not it's not uh just about you saying it's not just about Joseph as a servant saying, You as a god can't do this, but I can't. It's God saying to the other gods, your God on earth is less powerful than my servant.
0: Yeah. yeah. You
1: know, I mean that's <laughs>
0: That's mind-blowing. It it becomes this beautiful image of everything God is working out through all of history. And and maybe that's one of the reasons why we like the story so much without realizing, I think there's maybe some kind of subconscious connection that if Joseph can be the slave and and so far down, and yet God can use him so powerfully, that that's part of our hope. I mean, I would hope that we would want to be participants in God's plan. Mm -hmm. And I think most of us want to miss the time in prison and we want to go straight to being second in command. It's typically not how it works, but there's, I I would hope that I, that we would see ourselves even in whatever situations we're in, that God can redeem us, redeem that situation, redeem us Mm -hmm. and bring us to a place where we have an impact on the world. And so it's a very, um, It's very telling when that in this ancient culture, Joseph can make these declarations to Pharaoh Mm -hmm. because I, I, and I think we forget the significance and how scared would he have been? You know,
1: well, and see now that's a question I kind of have because it says, you know, he brings everyone else. No one else can interpret the dream. And my thing, I kind of have in the back of my mind this kind of, well, were they unable to interpret it? which I guess the Bible says they're not able to So probably, yeah. but was there also kind of this aspect of like, I don't want to tell Pharaoh what this dream is because <laughs> this is some bad news. And Joseph's coming to Pharaoh from prison going, well, if I screw this up, I'm just back there where I'm in charge of everything anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, what, what am I, what am I out? I, I, or know, I'm I had dead. Three hots and a cot, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I believe it was uh, George Fox uh, in one of his books. He wrote, uh, he said, be a prophet should not weave survival too centrally into their plan. right? <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, yeah. And of course, in that instance, he uses the example of uh, Nathaniel going to David mm-hmm. and giving the whole story and then telling him, look, like, you know, what you just did with Bathsheba was wrong. And the, everybody, that everybody, that's the other thing that cracks me up today. Everybody's like, oh, I want to be a prophet. I want to be a prophet. Prophets didn't. Yes, they were. They were valued and they were honored in some ways, but they were living on that knife edge of life and death constantly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what we forget that this was not a safe position. It never has been a safe position in right. all of history. And so, if you aren't willing to be willing to die at any second, this is not a role you want to take on. So, okay, I'm gonna get off that soapbox. Um, but. Pharaoh um, Joseph interprets the dream, and then not only does he interpret the dream, he says, "Hey, I have a plan." I, exactly.
1: <laughs> Which I mean, yeah, that that was the thing I was thinking about when you were talking about the other stuff. It's like, yeah, he not only is he, does he know what's going to happen, he knows what to do about it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. so he was sharp. I mean, I, no, I mean,
0: well, and think about the fact he had been the manager at Potiphar's house, mm-hmm. so he knew what it was like to have to set up storehouses or not, not storehouses. But to have the stores in the house to be prepared for the next day or the next month or whatever. And this wasn't like I mean, evidently the grain was able to be to be conserved and have a long shelf life, but a lot of the foods they didn't have a long shelf life. So even on a day-to-day basis, you know, if you wanted to have cucumbers or leeks, those things don't don't store well. And so he was learning how to to preserve and and think ahead and all of that while he was in Potiphar's house. And so it was preparation. Right. And I think we forget that everything in our story adds up to who we are today. And e- each little event along the way equips us for something in the future. And so this is on display with Joseph's life in a really good way. And so he gives the plan. And uh, Pharaoh, I think this is an interesting statement. This is verse 37. Uh, 38. And Pharaoh says to the courtiers, "Uh." Could we find another like him, a man in whom is the Spirit of God?
1: Hmm.
0: Now, this is the first time in all of Scripture that we have a human being with the Spirit of God. Hmm. And there is a, a great debate in Christian circles about whether the Holy Spirit came to earth before Christ's death, resurrection.
1: I don't know why this is a debate.
0: It is, though. and
1: I, I, I mean, it seems pretty clear from the text, personally. Mm-hmm. That's, I don't
0: know. Maybe, well, maybe
1: I'm misunderstanding something about it, but I don't know. Go ahead.
0: And maybe it's, I think sometimes, particularly where we ran in Southern Baptist circles, where the Holy Spirit was not emphasized. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was almost like the Holy Spirit was a lesser part of the Trinity that... Oh, yeah, he's there. He might show up. He he showed up back at Pentecost. We really haven't seen too much of him around since. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, that might be some of my bias coming with it, but uh, the Holy Spirit is very active in the Old Testament.
1: Yeah, and you see reference to the Holy Spirit, and Spirit or didn't say Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of God, but I think that's
0: probably more just a linguistics thing. Yeah, it, it really is. And the next time we see it is going to be in Exodus where I spoke of Bezalel being the artist of the tabernacle. And God and, says, I have put, put my spirit, spirit in, in him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the result of that spirit, I think it's very interesting, too, that in the Old Testament, the result of the Spirit of God is wisdom, intelligence, and knowledge, and so often working out through prophecy.
1: Well, and, and something else, too, with Bezalel, and I, <laughs> you brought him up, okay? It's your fault. You, you brought up Bezalel. So I'm going to go on a tangent, because uh, here's the thing with Bezalel. Is God says I've selected him because of his skill and I put mm-hmm. my spirit in him. Mm-hmm. And, and what's the result of that? It is creativity. It's artistry. Mm-hmm. And I think we fail to realize and just, I personally, based on what I've read and, and, and the way that <laughs> the artists are used in the Bible, the way that art is used in the Bible, I think that you know when, you, when you're engaged in creating something, you're imitating God. Exactly. God, why did God create the universe? Well, because. (laughs) Why do we like pretty things? Well, because. We're made in the image of God. God made the universe. The universe is really cool. And so we like to make really cool and really Mm -hmm. pretty things that maybe don't have a purpose. What is the purpose of the universe? God likes it. Okay, that's (laughs) it. And so it bothers me a lot of times when when we we try to overcomplicate it, for one. But whenever we're engaged in creative acts for the sake of being engaged in creative acts, that's an act of worship because it's imitation of God. Right. And so we've got to realize that the artist is not just, it's not just, oh, that's a cute hobby. Mm -hmm. It's central to, to imitating God. Right. And, and, and. And I'm not saying you can't imitate God if you're not an artist because God is, is infinite. He's multifaceted. Right. There's many different things that we can do to imitate God. But I think the, 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 not to overemphasize the role of the artist or the musician or anyone like the, the creative types, but whenever you are with, you know, when, whenever there's a good artist or musician, they make something that stirs awe in the viewer, in the mm-hmm. listener in the person participating. So it does give us a, it gives you, it invites you in to be, to to glimpse what it's like to imitate God in a, in a different way. And so that's that's my soapbox well, okay. on that. Well, I,
0: well and I'm going to take it further now because uh, you know me and Bezalel, he's actually one of my favorite. I've been controlling myself and you just, yeah, so I'm not now. Uh, but even the word inspiration, I, I mm-hmm. love that. That word inspiration means to breathe in the breath of God what does God do with Adam? He inspires him. Mm -hmm. And so when we as Christians are not creating in a way that shows inspiration, we're kind of denying the presence of God in our life. And I think that's an indictment against us as Christians being able to, oh, well, it's good enough. No, there needs to be excellence. When Bezalel created the tabernacle, he did it with excellence. Every Mm -hmm. style of visual artistry is represented in the tabernacle. right? Abstract, impression, realistic, all of this, it, it's there. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that he was able to produce this in this ancient culture so far ahead of what art would go through the stages historically. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we forget that, that this is, like you said, it is engaging in the imitation of God. It's being an It is being an image of God, Mm -hmm. and the point of art, um, you know, it's it's not so that we can feel good creating it. The point of art is so that an audience can interact with it and engage it, Mm -hmm. and that's the same point as prophecy. And this is the reason why in ancient cultures, artists and prophets inhabited the same space. Right, and this is why we're seeing it here with Joseph's story that the engraver are the magicians, they're the prophets, and so this is very important that we kind of wrap our head around it. And I think if you're, as an artist, we need to be pursuing God. We need to be pursuing the true source of inspiration. Mm -hmm. And as consumers, when we engage with art, we need to be engaging with art critically. And we need to be engaging with art that is good and not just art that. Is pretty, but art that makes us think and contemplate mm-hmm. and brings that awe. And if we're not doing that, then we're selling God short and we're selling ourselves short, and we aren't getting the fullness of what God intended through this gift. Yeah, and because I mean, it's in this artistic expression of Bezalel that God's Shekinah glory was present. Right. So, I mean, are we going to create something to that magnitude today? No. Yeah. Well, but, <laughs> well, you were
1: talking about you're talking about art that isn't just pretty. There's uh there's a guy who uh he goes by the handle of DJ Doc um and i he actually does a he's he does the turntable stuff like he did, mm-hmm. he, of course you know DJ obviously but you know for a long time i didn't really consider that to be like a great form of of art but there's a song that he has arranged and it's got some movie samples and it's basically it's about the crucifixion and mm-hmm. it's not really actually pretty. I mean, it's, it's pretty rough. And I actually, I can't listen to it with the girls around because, because my oldest is like, that song's too scary, mm-hmm. and, but it's moving. And if you listen to it, it's just incredible. It, it, it's dark. And, it, and like I said, it's it's not what I would consider pretty, but it is, it's moving. Well, the um, crucifixion it, wasn't pretty.
0: Right. I I think that's one of the things we as Christians forget that some of the greatest truths and some of the most uh, powerful events in history were not pretty, hmm. but they were necessary. And to to engage them, you know, for us to think about the crucifixion as a historical event, there, there's almost this automatic wall that goes up, whether it's time, distance, not being able there to witness it. Hmm. Um, and we don't get to engage it on an emotional level. We don't really get to contemplate what it entailed. Um, with aside from kind of this clinical dissection of it, right, art takes it out of that clinical place. And like with that, now you're engaging the at that emotional level. You're right. You're getting to think about what did this mean for Jesus to go through this. And I, I think that's that's significant for us to be able to appreciate the magnitude of the sacrifice. And we still aren't getting there. Right. And so. If y'all guys can't tell, this is one of my Nathan's favorite topics.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect to be going off on all these tangents, but uh, so back to Joseph. Where was he? He was he was devising a plan, right? He
0: was he was devising a plan. Pharaoh said, "You know, where else are we going to find somebody with the, who has the spirit of God?" Uh, that's an amazing declaration, right there. That that Pharaoh would acknowledge that Joseph has the spirit of God because now in some ways he he's getting dangerously close to acknowledging that Joseph is at his level. Right. And that's because even if at this point, if he wasn't considered to be a bio, if Pharaoh was not considered to be a biological descendant of the gods, he was at least in embodying the spirit of the gods. So this is a huge confession on uh, Pharaoh's part. Um, so Pharaoh, Begins this process, and he changes Joseph's clothes again. He puts him in fine linen. Um, the word "fine" there can also mean thin. Uh, it was a um, mark of wealth to have linen clothing that was so thin you could almost see through it. Right. And so he he gives him this this linen. So once again, we're changing changing Joseph's clothes. Uh, he gives Joseph a signet ring. And uh, with a signet ring, he can actually act as Pharaoh. So Joseph's decrees and commands had the same weight and power that that Pharaoh did. Uh, He gives Joseph a gold chain. And this, again, signifying his position and that he has this authority. What I find to be very interesting about this is all of these gifts, we actually have, it's part of a ceremony. And we actually have reliefs that are carved that show these ceremonies. So the Bible is attesting to known practices in Egypt at this time, and so we we have some some verification, right? And that that's actually led to a lot of interesting things with the Bible scholars, and um, because this is the first time in the Bible that we're interacting with a civilization that we can go and see the remains of it. We can go see their artwork because before this, everything that's happening within the Bible is get shepherds in tents. Right. They don't leave much of a footprint on the ancient world, nothing that's going to survive. Right. And, you know, they aren't building buildings. Only buildings that they've really, the only thing they've really built are like the pillars to mark a sacred spot or a burial right. place. Um, Sodom is one of the few cities that's mentioned. Um, uh, and even that's still in debate, whether it's been found or not. Right. And, but with Egypt, we know where Egypt is. We know where these cities are that the Bible's talking about. We have people who dig, we've got a friend who's gone to Egypt and done some digs. Right. And, uh, we yeah. need to have her on the we show. We need again. to have her on. Yeah. So, um, but this is both good and bad because it's good in the fact that we can verify things that are happening in the Bible as accurate. So we can say that this would have been normal for a Pharaoh to give somebody a ring and fine clothing and a gold chain. And this would have been a part of accepting him into their government and acknowledging his position and making sure that everybody knew this. Yeah. So we can verify that. The problem is we have a lot of Christians who want to go, oh, well, this must, this Egyptian story must refer to this person or this Egyptian artifact must refer <laughs> to this one. And so we as Christians wind up overplaying our hand and saying, we, we, we've we got way more proof that the Bible is accurate than we might actually have, and trying to prove to people that the Bible can be trusted, and we end up being liars. Right. And this is a problem. And we're going to talk about one of those here in a little bit. Um, but that's because I don't want to stop there, because this is... Um, we, we still have a couple of things that, that Pharaoh gave him. He also gave him a chariot. Uh, this is verse 43. Uh, now, the JPS here has it's he gave him the chariot of his second in command. Um, what does the ESV have Wh- there? Which verse again? 43. 43.
1: Um, it says he made him ride in the second chariot. Okay. So They made him ride in his second chariot. Okay. And they called out before him, bow the knee.
0: Okay. Because the Masoretic applies the second in command to Joseph. The Septuagint text applies the second to the chariot. And so the, whether, the, the idea is still that Joseph's the second in command, but right. the idea that Joseph would have the second chariot In in Egypt.
1: It was was the king's chariot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so this is like Air Force Two. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly where I was going. Because this is our first reference of chariots in the Bible. And Mm -hmm. they're not being used as war machines yet. These are still just a a statement of status. Okay. And um, there's some really great work that's done on Egyptian warfare and how they had to actually develop the chariots in order to be able to fight off the Hittites and. Uh, conquer in, in that way, which it, it gets really fascinating, but um, I, I just want to bring that up. I don't want to go too far into it because I, I've slept since then and I'd probably say the wrong thing. Mm-mm. So, <laughs> and um, we we also know that this was very normal. Now, Pharaoh also gives, not just a chariot, um, Pharaoh gives Joseph a name and Zaphanath paneah And there's a lot of dispute. And I, I don't even want to try to speculate on the name on this because there is, if, if it's an Egyptian name, it means five or six different things. If it's a Hebrew name, it needs seven or eight more. And they're really, when I come across that much dispute, what that tells me is nobody's got the right answer. Right. And so, uh, but the point is that Pharaoh gave this name to Joseph. And then he gives Joseph for a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Um, and we're going to find that every time that Asenath is mentioned... I'm sorry.
1: Say, is there a priest of Off? There's priest of On. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, just, it was right there. It was like holding in a sneeze. Um, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs>
0: And so, yeah, so uh, he, Joseph is, is getting, um, he, he's got the ring, he's got the clothes, he's got the haircut, he's got the uh, gold chain, he's got the chariot, he's got the wife, he's got the name. I was listening to one rabbi pre- preach on this this week, and it's like, he couldn't have been a bigger Goy. And uh, Goy is a uh, Gentile, basically. Right. Uh, so you, you know, he couldn't have been any more Egyptian. At this like point. The
1: more Egyptian than Egyptian. Yeah. It's like, like Warf in Star Trek. So it's more Klingon than Klingon always. Talk, you know, that's, that's the whole, that's the, that's the joke on mission log about him is that he's always trying to be like more honorable and things like that. But then whenever you get into Klingon government, it's actually very corrupt. But
0: well, the, so, uh, yeah, the idealized, so. we do that if we have an idea of what, what it looks like and we forget the real people. And you know, honestly, okay, a little tangent here. Um, <laughs> you know, how many of us, go into a Christian environment and we try to be more Christian than Christian. I mean, we're, we're going Oh s- man. Well, <laughs>
1: what is it? The, 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 uh, Christian authority chart. It's the, uh, 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 Lutherans don't recognize the authority of Catholics. Uh, it just uh, like goes to this whole, whole list of tr- denominations that don't recognize different things. And since Baptists don't recognize each other at the liquor store. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's,
0: <laughs> Well, we start talking funny. We start wearing things we'd never wear. We, I, we, we do all these things instead of just being human. And I wonder if that contributes to us not being able to see Bible characters as human. Well, I,
1: I think there is something to that. And, and, and doing that though really damages our, our ability to reach out to, to people because it's. Uh, I, I was talking to. It's. I wasn't talking to. I was at. I was at a meeting where we're, that the speaker was talking about. Um, reaching out to people outside the church and they said he in a couple of things he said that were great and i think i may have mentioned one or two of them on the show but one of them was that you know if if you don't hang out with people from church outside of church then you're not really friends mm-hmm. uh was one of the things and he said he said the other thing is as you get to know people outside the church and you invite them to the church into the building to to be part of the group and your behavior changes when you're around your christian friends So they notice that and they'll notice that immediately and they'll Uh notice it before your Christian friends do. They'll notice it before you do. And they'll be like, I don't want to be part Mm -hmm. of this. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, take that for what you will either, you know, are Christians too uptight or do we need to be better in public? Which one is it? Um, so.
0: (laughs) Well, I, yeah. And both, um, (laughs) just my humble opinion. Um, More
1: on that later, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um. But he, he's, he's being assimilated into this Egyptian culture, and there's a reason why there's so much time in the scripture spent explaining all the things that Pharaoh is doing to bring Joseph, you know, kind of, there, there's a subtlety to it, but it, it goes back to, remember Laban talking to Jacob? Well, what do you need to stay? And you, sure. you know, you're a blessing here, and we I'm a good guy, you're a good guy, we can all work together. And so there's this element of Laban and Pharaoh have a lot of the similar characteristics. Uh, Laban and Bimelech and Pharaoh all kind of share some mm-hmm. of the same characteristics. And um, so Joseph was 30 years old when he enters the, the service of Pharaoh and he traveled all the land of Egypt. And during the seven years of plenty, he produced uh, the, the, sorry, the seven years of plenty the land produced in abundance, and he gathered the grain of the seven years as the land of Egypt was enjoying and stored it in grains in the cities. Sorry, I can't even read. Stored the grains in the cities and put it in the city, the grain of the fields around it. Okay. So Joseph collected and produced his, produce in very large quantity, like the sands of the sea. And we get this reference back to Abraham, mm-hmm. and your descendants are going to be like the sands of the sea, until he ceased to measure it. And for it could not be measured. So Joseph's plan's working out
1: pretty well. I do think it's really interesting. They specifically reference the sands of the sea so Uh
0: often when it's like you're in the desert.
1: desert. (laughs) Why do you need other sands as your imagery? I guess sand by the sea is prettier. I don't (laughs) I don't know.
0: That's a good point. Um, maybe our idea of what their desert looked like has been skewed. Maybe it, so. Uh,
1: that's that National Geographic photo with the camels. It's actually the shadows. Anyway, yeah. um
0: <laughs> so, uh, so Joseph, his plan's working out. Uh, and we have another mention of Asnoth, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. It's v- every time we talk about her, that's going to be the full description. Mm-hmm. Um, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh meaning God has made me forget completely my hardships in my parental home. So Joseph, it, it, you, you're seeing that separation. Mm-hmm. He he's moving away from his past with his brothers. Now right. he's free now. Why isn't he going to look for his dad? He's dad's favorite kid. Even if he couldn't leave, he could send messengers. What, what the heck's going on, Joseph? Well-
1: I, well, there's that, and it's well. And you're also seeing an interesting reversal too, where when when he was free, he was despised, mm-hmm. and when he was a prisoner, he He's became valued. beloved. Yeah. And so the, there's kind of an interesting reversal there. And you also, I mean, if I, I'm not gonna lie, if if you and and <laughs> Ellen and Aaron had decided to sell me, I would not be coming <laughs> home either. I would be like, nope, that nothing but trouble in that place.
0: Well, but, you know, forget about the the siblings. What about his dad? I mean, that's the thing. He's got his dad who doted on him. Um, and he doesn't even care enough to, to to get in touch with his dad. Now, on the flip side, dad never looked for him. Well, to be fair, he's got a nice ride,
1: wife, <laughs> gold chain, you know.
0: What else does he need? <laughs> well, and, a and whole bunch of grain. Well, and he's got the surrogate father. Because what does a father do? He gives you a name. He finds you a wife. Mm-hmm. He provides... I, all of these things, Pharaoh has really stepped in and, and, and you are can, can be my boy. You know, yeah. this is, and, and Joseph is allowing this. And so that he has Manasseh and then he has Ephraim, meaning God has made me fertile in the land of my affliction. And this is going uh, to come into play with Jacob's blessing on his sons. Mm. Um, and again, these these children may have been twins. We, we really aren't certain whether or not they were. Um, Is there any kind of parallel with that in the Psalms
1: that, you know, he sets a a table for me in the presence of my enemies kind of idea?
0: I see that more with uh, actually when the brothers are there. Okay. And there might be some here. Well,
1: it's just talking about like the name of the kid, like the God's made me fertile in the land of oppression kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And see. Or is
1: that just (laughs) foreshadowing into what's going to happen in Exodus?
0: Man. Well, all of this is foreshadowing. And You find that over and over again in the Bible that one person will kind of play out a portion of the story and then it's going to get picked up and it's going to, they're going to play it out, play it out as a nation, but there's always going to be that one person. And so with Abraham, Sarah spends the time in Pharaoh's house and she is, becomes basically, you know, his wife and What happens with the children, the girls in Exodus? Pharaoh says, "Keep them alive." Yeah, which Rashi says is because he wanted to sexually exploit them, and uh, so Sarah pre prefigures that. Mm -hmm. And then um, Jacob, in his early years, he goes into exile with Laban, and he spends twenty years there. Joseph now he's got twenty years in Egypt, Um, but then the whole nation's going to wind up there. Yeah. And so we we kind of have these little hints that this is this is the way it's going to go but it's like God is sending this one person out ahead of everybody else to live this survive through us it, through it to thri- actually thrive then in doing so they provide hope it's all it, and it goes all
1: the way back to the dove on the ark it, it does I mean it's, <laughs> it really it, just it, keeps yeah. going
0: well and that's interesting because as we move through Joseph's story we actually find that some of the language that Joseph's going to use about himself is the same language used of Noah. Uh And because Noah saves the whole world. When you talk about all of humanity, if we take the reading literally, but at least all of known humanity for the writers of the Bible is on that ark. So Noah saves all of humanity. What's Joseph do? He's going to wind up saving all of humanity. And he's and the bible's very specific that the those in the ancient world who survived it was because of Joseph's planning and this actually winds up being a problem later on and so it, it it's all of these retellings mm-hmm. and building on each other th- and i think what that teaches us is as we read through this today we can see themes that apply to our life. And I really do believe every situation that we might encounter, even if the Bible doesn't specifically address it, the principles are there. Right. And it's because we have so many stories and they're really, even though the the specifics might differ, fundamentally most human problems really boil down to some very simple issues. Right. And so we, we aren't as complex as we Want to think, but we're more complex than what can, you might imagine. What we, real, what we can realize, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's the paradox of being a human being. And so I, I, I love Joseph's story from this perspective and digging into it this way. And I find that because when we started jo- going into Joseph, I'm like, I really don't want to study Joseph. I've heard the story so many times. And then I start digging into it, and I keep finding things going.
1: Well, and it's like we've said probably a (laughs) hundred times since we started this is look at what the text actually says. Yeah. And whenever we get to doing that, it really just pops off of the Mm -hmm. page and and becomes something that is more interesting than what we might have originally thought. Absolutely. So, well, uh, that's I think that's a good spot to Mm -hmm. wrap up. We're uh, coming up on around our target time. Yeah. So anyway, uh. That being said, everyone, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We are excited to, to be back in the studio. Um, we're excited to, uh, to be doing this, and we want to keep doing it. So in order to keep us running, be sure to hit up patreon.com slash Um If you just want to be part of the conversation, uh, give us some feedback, give, uh, give us some questions. Um, that is also appreciated mm-hmm. more than anyone can realize. Um, again, if we're kind of slow getting back to it, uh, we're kind of a small staff here. Um,
0: <laughs> you're looking at it.
1: Uh, yeah, if you're on YouTube. If not, you're hearing us. Um, but the, uh, yeah, go to Raven Creek SC uh, on any social media platform to get in touch with us. We will be there. And um RavencreekSC.com if you want some uh, show notes and or uh, even
0: some blog uh, posts.
1: Blog post of Emily's. Uh, you can also find out how you can support us. Uh, Raven Creek, uh, you know, it has a link to our Patreon. Also, some PayPal stuff if you're not into multiple, you know, recurring payments.
0: And they'll get you into the paddle store.
1: And that will, yeah, that will get you into our group. Also, go to uh, go check out the shop. We got some T-shirts. I've got the new shop relaunched. Um, we got a couple of different designs. Um, I realized it came to my attention that the Commentarians shirt just said Commentarians and didn't say that it was a podcast. So. <laughs> And being that it's a made-up word, I figured we should be clear on what it's what it's doing.
0: Another made-up word from us, imagine. So
1: anyway, that being said, thanks again for joining us. We'll be glad to see you or not see you. You might see us uh, next week. Thanks. Bye.
0: Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join
1: us next week.